Thank you, snowboarding. Hey friends, welcome back to Thank You Snowboarding, the podcast that is documenting UK snowboard culture. Uh, we do this in association with the Snowboard Asylum and the Reason magazine. The Snowboard Asylum have been looking after snowboarders for a long time. Since since year dot, basically, so it's pretty cool that they look after us too. Snowboarders for snowboarders, that's what we like. The Reason magazine, the best thing to look at while you're having a shit and doing other things. Maybe you've got a train journey or whatever, grab hold of a copy of The Reason. You'll find it in Debate Smiths. You might even get a free gift with it. It's a beautiful thing put together. You want to check it out. All right, let's go. This week, this week sees Mia Brooks win X Games Gold in Slopestar, which is nothing short of incredible. She said she was going to win it when I bumped, when I saw her at Lark's uh, the other week. I saw her after the Slopestar comp, which she couldn't manage to kind of get a rundown. She was like, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm going to win X Games. And uh, she did. In no short style either. She absolutely crushed it. So if you haven't seen that, you can find all the X Games footage on uh, our in some of it on our Instagram. Thank you, Snowboarding Podcast. Uh, or look up the X Games on YouTube and you'll find her winning runs on there. So yeah, that's the big news this week. But let's not take away from this week's guest. This week... I bumped into an old friend, Tom Wilmot, out in Larks. Um, I sort of had a hunch he might be there, but he is the uh, coach for the New Zealand team, but he comes from the old dry slope days. Um, It was a bit confusing because he has got quite a New Zealand accent, and I was trying to think back to when he did a season in Borg, and I was pretty certain that he's from the UK but his accent was so convincing these days because obviously he spends his time living and travelling with the New Zealand uh, ski and snowboard teams that um, his accent has had me fooled and I started doubting myself as if if he had a UK heritage or not and uh, yeah he has we got through that pretty quickly so yeah Tom's a bit of a legend in the game Um, I met him back when he was working for Season Airs uh, he did a season in Borg Saint Maurice, which is where I met him and his lovely wife Chelsea. And there was always something about him. He always had a bit more kind of fire in him. Um, while we were all getting pissed, he was off hiking up mountains to do like dawn chorus runs and stuff like that. So he's a good guy. He's definitely in for snowboarding. And uh, one afternoon, when Cool Bus Rob was over, and I think I might have mentioned it in his interview. Cool bus Rob was over. We had a little crew of us cruising around. We bumped into Tom. I think it was about two o'clock in the afternoon. Tom was frothing to go and do some laps. He'd obviously spent too long sort of standing at the edge of the pipe or on the side of a jump on a slope-style course and was uh, really keen to go and do some laps. And it was just like, yep, this is perfect. And he knows Lark's a little bit, so he took us around and we just sort of found some little stashes of pow. And, um, man, Tom's just, he's just, you can tell he's done a lot of time on a snowboard. He's a good snowboarder. He's really solid, really stylish. 
And uh, he's just a good guy to follow around, as he says like later on in the interview. He does quite a bit of guiding as well. And you can tell that he sort of made sure the whole group of us were having a good time. And we did all have a good time. Um, we all raced down at the end of the day, snatched a couple of beers, a bit of apres, and it was a glorious thing. Patrick, who came out with me to Larks, he ended up going and having a kebab with Tom and the whole New Zealand team down in Flims where they were staying, which I thought was pretty funny. And then we managed to get this interview done. It was on the, I think it was on the Friday afternoon. No, it was a Saturday afternoon. We'd been up the mountain late. Didn't think I was going to make it down in time. Literally pulled up in resort at four o'clock. Tom was waiting. I was like, look, we can do this another time. He was like, no, 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 let's get it done. So we did. And uh, I'm really glad we did. It's been too long since uh, I've got to hang out with Tom. And um, I was really pleased to get some time with him in Larks and to get this interview done. So a story that is probably lesser known than most. But uh, here we go with a bit of time with Tom Wilmot. Let's do it. But we're here in Larks and you are the New Zealand team manager, but you are from the UK. Is that right? Um, yeah, coach. New Zealand head coach, I guess, my title. Just because I was always pretty certain that you were British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But your accent has changed a lot since we last met. Yeah, yeah, not bad. And I was like, is he actually English or? I'm English. So where are you from? Shrewsbury. Oh, right, up. um, West Midlands. Telford Dry Slope? Yeah, mainly. Jamie Baker and Ian Bridges and Paul Fellows and Pete Medlicott and all those guys. So tell me what snowboarding looked like when you got into it. What, or what was it that got you into it? Well, it was quite funny. We uh, went surfing. I started surfing for a snowboarder. We were out on the Welsh coast trying to find some waves, and it was real flat, and we were just kind of bored. And um, one of my mates said, hey, why don't we go snowboarding instead? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So we drove a couple hours to Maidley Dry Slope. And, um, yeah, the old Dendex um strapped on a snowboard didn't know what to do you know getting dragged up the hill backwards kind of thing did like, they not give it their you know can you turn left and right and stop sort of thing no nah, we just no? you know rocked up across our gear rented some boards and stuff you know one of the one of our mates had already been a few times so yeah he was like yeah this is how you do it you know we just watched him hop on the lift and then crashed you know numerous <laughs> times just got rolled and then finally figured out about the seventh go and made it to the top of the slope and it was all right what now you know yeah so yeah it was pretty uh you know pretty comic kind of start what but year what 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 year would this have been that was 95 okay and um you know persevered stuck at it figured out the lift worked out how to ride the slope and then at, at mainly at, um tuesday nights and saturday nights were ramp night yeah so um you know uh, from a very early sort of um, time in my snowboarding career, I guess, was just, uh, you know, that was a fun thing to do once you got bored of the 80-metre slope. It's right, let's have a go at hitting the jump. So, yeah, um, there's a really good scene there, good community, lots of really good riders um, helping each other out. So which dry slope was this? Maidley Dry Slope. Where's that? Um, just close to Telford. So that's when someone, or like, I've been to Telford once. Yeah. I think Jamie Baker put on a comp. right. So that would have been that dry slope. That would have been that dry slope. And that might have been the same. That might have been my first ever comp, actually. Really? If it was 96. I don't know. It was quite a Jamie kind of did a good job of bringing everyone down. We had um, Hamish McKnight and Gary Greenshields came down right. from Scotland. No way. And that was the first time meeting them. And um, 
yeah, I remember crashing a few times and needing a few stitches and that kind of thing, but had a, a fun night. So what was your sort of view of, did you know that there was much of a kind of a scene around? Did you sort of see magazines or anything like that? Or did yeah. you just like, this is just something I do in our little corner of the world? And- no, got, uh, you know, got right into it. Loved the magazine, Snowboard UK and White Lines were, you know, every month they came out, I'd rush yeah. to WH Smith and... Um, be thumbing through them and you know I'd, I'd be in the shop for about an hour reading it all no and, way you know the shop assistant's giving me a bit of a <laughs> weird look and then i'd you know buy it take it home and um got right into it and uh you know the the uh snowball movies odd man out that was my first one on a on a videotape and played that over and over again and yeah got excited about travel and that kind of thing and um first trip on snow was to the British Champs in 1996 in Maribel. Maribel. And that was the first time I'd ever been on snow. Funny enough, I was speaking to Leslie, what, two nights ago, and that was her first British Champs as well. Is that right? Yeah, classic. So, um, what did that, how did that feel like turning up and seeing kind of what that was? Because that was quite, there was a lot of people there from what I recall. There was a lot. I, I'd been snowboarding on dry slope for about six months. Yeah. And, um, you know, first time sliding and gliding on snow and just, you know, the difference was like, wow, okay, this is what it's all about. You know, this is, yeah. this feels amazing. So just the feeling of um, sliding on snow was awesome. And then the comp was really cool and ripping around and meeting all of um, the different people and um, having a crack. I was a junior at that stage and um, yeah. competing against your brother and uh, a bunch Shout of out Dave, he's just sent me a message, actually. Should maybe see if he can, see if he's got a guest question for you. No, it hasn't. Anyway, shout out, Dave. So did you go to the British Champs kind of as a, to see what the competition looked like? Yeah. Or, or was it just like that was the holiday that everybody went on? Well, it was sort of, it fitted in, I think. I was um, at Sixth Form College. I think it was sort of maybe a school, uh, like a, you know, inter-term holiday or something like that. Mid- right. Mid-term break or whatever we call it, we used to call it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just the timing fitted and I'd done a few of the dry slope competitions back at home and, you know, thought I'd go over and have a crack. So were you sort of like feeling that this was something that you wanted to get good at? Yeah, definitely. Are you that kind of person that's got a sort of competitive spirit in them about whatever they do? Well, yeah, probably. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the community. You yeah. know, it was awesome getting out there and meeting all these different people and, you know, from watching the snowboard movies and learning tricks, you know, that sort of feeling of accomplishment. And uh, I wasn't sure where it was going to take me, but just was really enjoying it at the time. So so then sort of what happened after that? Because obviously our paths crossed in, what was it, 2005, six, something like that, at the, in Borg? Yes. So I uh, I had another year on the dry slope. And then um, uh, when I was 18 and had finished sixth form college, I spent a year traveling, went to Australia for eight months right. and um, spent my, that was my first season snowboarding. So I went to Jindabyne and um, snowboarded there all season. Uh, I went to New Zealand in the summertime and f- fell in love with the place. Um, there summertime. Yeah, yeah, February. Yeah. Um, Queenstown and, and saw all these posters on the wall for what Queenstown's like in the winter with loads of snow and stuff and thought it'd be an amazing place to come back to. So I booked my ticket back and that was uh, 98 yeah. and spent the season there shape, uh, raking the half pipe and stuff. It was their worst season for seven years or something and right. wasn't quite as uh, good as what the posters had sort of made out. But, you know, 
again, sort of fell in love with the the country, the people there, and the the attitudes and the snowboard sort of community down that way, the snowboard yeah. scene. And um, meanwhile, I was at university. I did a sports coaching degree. Oh, right, in um, in Cardiff, uh-huh. and um, from that point, I suppose, um, yeah, that season in New Zealand, I've just been doing back to back winters ever since. So I haven't had a full summer in uh, twenty five years. So, um, do you not crave a bit of like beach? Like, I guess, do you have, do you, you, I think you get holidays in, don't you? Only yeah, squeeze it. That's it, like uh, <laughs> over Christmas. <laughs> I was just thinking, fucking hell, that's bleak. A lot of winter without any sun, but then I realized that you can actually take holidays. Well, I, I get two springs every year, which is nice. Yeah. And then, um, you know, try and get somewhere tropical every once in a while to get some vitamin D. But yeah. So, when you're doing back to back seasons, where were you doing them in Europe? Or- well, I did two in, I finished university 2002 and then, uh, sorry, 2001, and I did two seasons in Whistler. So I had yeah. a job working for Season Airs, working for our mate Dave Parr. Oh, yeah, that's right. You and, were there for a uh, while, weren't you? Yeah, around the, uh, the house out in, uh, in Whistler yeah. and then shifted to Borg uh, San Maurice and to team. Yeah. So season up in team, season down in Borg, that's yeah. where we met and uh, we're probably rolling through to about 2005 now. Yeah, and in yeah, the yeah. meantime, I was in New Zealand for their winters. I always remember that you were sort of keener than your average sort of person who was hanging around in Borg for the season. Because I remember there was a party at the Pink House one night near the end of the season. And about 10 o'clock, you were like, all right, guys, I'm going to see you later. It's like, where are you going? And you're like, I'm going to go and um, we're going hiking up. Not the Grand Mop, somewhere. Yeah. Grand Cass or something like that. In right. Like, you're just like, yeah, we're going off and we're going to like, you know, we'll get up, we'll be there for sunrise. And I was like, shit, like you're actually like a serious, serious snowboarder, not like sort of us lot who did it for sort of lifestyle and sort of a few laughs. Well, I mean, uh, certainly don't know if it, I'd call it serious or uh Committed, let's say. Committed's a good word. Um, you know, just absolutely love it. Loved it from yeah. from the start. And um, you know, about that time I was getting right into free riding and you know, I love all facets of snowboarding really. You know, r- love um, riding the half bike, love jumping, um, and then love snowboard mountaineering. So climbing yeah. up peaks and ripping down them and finding new lines and and all those sort of elements. So but what sort of changed? Because obviously you'd worked for season airs for a bit. You could have easily sort of, I mean, you could have stretched that out even longer, couldn't you? And sort of just lived that lifestyle. But, yeah. but obviously at, something, at some point something happened where you're now like the coach for the New Zealand team. So what what sort of changed and when? Well, I, when I finished my sports coaching degree, I'd been doing instructor qualifications um, and doing a little bit of snowboard instructing, but I started coaching in New Zealand and um, we had the host of the Junior World Championships in 2002, yeah. and I was there coaching the junior team, and Eddie Spearing helped uh, set that up. That's right. He uh, mentioned that on his episode. And that was an, a really awesome event, and, and I ran some camps for some of the young guys um, overseas while I was working for Season Airs. Yeah. And, yeah, I started coaching at the regional program at Cadrona, and um, that was initially to sort of fund my own snowboarding and um you know riding and was doing some competing um and in 2005 that some of the youngsters i was coaching in new zealand were qualifying for the olympics in torino right and um 
Do you I was, know the first one? Uh, no, it was the third one. So right. 98 was the first one in Nagano That's and right. Salt Lake in 2002. Yeah, yeah. So Trina was the third one. But, uh, yeah, Mitch Brown and his younger sister, Kendall Brown, and then one of the other coaches I was working with, Julianne Bray, all three of them uh, were on the hunt to qualify for Torino. And um, so at that stage, I had the opportunity to, they asked me to be their coach. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I was sort of half, how old was I? I was t- about 26. I half had my aspirations to sort of follow my own uh, competitive career. Yeah. I had a couple of results, but I knew it was going to be a, a bit of a struggle to make it to the to the top, and uh, I wasn't really good enough, to be honest. So right. I, the opportunity to coach, I thought, brilliant. You know, I've got a, got a qualification, you know, some, some cool young people uh, to work with, and it's quite a privilege. So I snapped that up, and um, from that point on, I've been the head coach of the New Zealand snowboard team. So what is kind of taught me through then what you're trying to think of like how a sort of time period that you could describe what your sort of life looks like, like in any given year, what, I mean, you're on snow most of it. Yeah. Um, on snow every month. Um, yeah, there's a couple of months into season where there's not as much snowboarding, but, um, you know, um, these days traveling, um, through the competition circuit from and, and training camp circuit from November, like mid November, all the way through until March, and then normally finish up the season with some. Um, the last few years, I've been up to Alaska and doing some heli ski guiding up there. So um, yeah, because I've seen on your socials that you get to do some pretty tasty other trips that don't look like your job. Yeah, how do they come about? Um, well, I started heli ski guiding in 2003 um, over in New Zealand. So I, I won a trip up to the World Heli Challenge, which was this big helicopter access event in New Zealand. And thought it was pretty cool. And I um, found out the owner of the helicopter company and knocked on his door and said, Oh, you know, hi, I'm Tom. Um, I want to be a heli ski guide. And yeah. he said, Oh, do you have any avalanche qualifications? I said, No. Do you have any first aid qualifications? Oh, no. So he said, I'll come back when you've got some avalanche and first aid quals. And uh, so, yeah, I went away, did them, came back the next year, knocked on the door, said, oh, I've got my qualifications. And he said, all right, well, we'll put you on the list. And, no way. Uh, got the call up just later that season. There was a big bunch of snowboarders and they needed a tail guide. So right. jumped in on that. And um, How did you get qualified? Like, what does an avalanche qualification look like? Well, there's a, there's a few, and it, um, the pathway now is a little bit more open to snowboarders. So when I was right. starting, to be a fully qualified mountain guide or a ski guide, you had to complete the qualification on skis. Right. And uh, more recently, in Canada, North America, and in New Zealand, they recognize snowboarders, and you can go all the way through the pathway and become basically as the same qualification as an IFMGA mountain guide, right. but without the climbing. So in New Zealand, they split it. So there's the climbing stuff, rock climbing, alpine climbing, and then there's the skiing, snowboarding stuff. And you follow um, either of those pathways. Okay. And it um, takes, takes a while, costs a bit of money and um, a lot of focus. And, Are you yeah. allowed to do it in France? Um, I'm I sort of, I guess I've got the same qualification as the guys have. Yeah. And um, whether I do it or not will come down to... Um, the old uh, visa stuff, you know. So yeah. okay, they haven't got like a 
yeah, you've got this qualification, but in our country, this means nothing. Like they do, well, they certainly used to with a lot of things like teaching. Yeah, it's pretty tricky. There's there's some of the British mountain guides um, who are working out there. Um, you know, I'm not sure the details, but you've got to have the old residency card. Yeah, Neil McNabb's got all that stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, so, but when you're training, like when, what's your responsibilities with the sort of New Zealand team? What is your sort of job description? Um, well, I suppose we are funded based on results and yeah. um, we're funded based on results at the Winter Olympics and that's our sort of focus. Is that typical for every country? Yeah, yeah, to get government funding. Um, you know, basically you need to um, demonstrate you can get results in the future or we'll be currently getting results. Yeah. Um, so we've chased uh, Winter Olympics. Obviously, you know, in snowboarding, some of the best events, like the X Games, aren't part of the Olympic um, pathway. No. But you need to, if you're going to be good at them, there's a real high correlation between X Games medalists and Olympic medalists. Right. So we had a really kind of new sort of modern approach to things in New Zealand. You know, there wasn't an established uh, ski federation. You know, we didn't okay. have a heap of like top alpine ski races. Yeah. So our park and pipe, half pipe, slope style, big ear athletes on a snowboard we're doing really well. And so we were allowed to kind of write the rules as we went, which was pretty cool. So that is cool. we explained, look, we want to chase the best events out there. We want to, we need our, um, our riders to beat the US Open. We need our riders to beat the X Games. Yeah. The Dew Tour also do the FIS World Cups right. um, to qualify for the Olympics. And uh, we want to train and we want to use our advantage of the New Zealand uh, domestic season being everyone else's summer. So mm-hmm. we want to train at home and ride hard and then get on the tour, pick the right events. Don't do too many competitions, but focus on progression. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we just slowly evolved through cycle to cycle and we managed to get more and more funding and build the team up. Um, and how has it changed sort of your sort of feeling about snowboarding from when you're, you know, being a season air doing back-to-back seasons to now and sort of snowboarding is the backbone of what you do? How's that sort of changed how you feel about it? Are you still frothing to write? Oh, yeah, certainly. I, I just love it, you know. Um, I mean, those laps we took the other day, you, it seemed like you were stoked, but you were like, great, I've got some people to ride around with because it's not just like we weren't doing, watching a comp or anything. It just seemed like your sort of face lit up to be like, great, we can go, to go, we can go and do some laps. And sure. It well, was great. Oh, you know, any opportunity. Um, certainly spend a lot of time uh, static at the top of um, a half pipe or top of a slope style course or yeah. um, standing on a knuckle filming um, <laughs> and then, you know, uh, crunching comms on the computer and uh, yeah. organising bits and bobs and working with the team. So any opportunity I, I get, any any free time I get to be able to snowball for myself, certainly. Because um, it's funny, it. there's a lot of industry people here and a lot of them sort of haven't really been snowboarding. And I was just thinking, how can you not, surely you're going to take a lap and sort of do some shredding while you're here. Like, why else would you be in the industry if it isn't to sort of maximise your chances of snowboarding? Yeah. I mean, I think it just comes down to intrinsic motivation, really. And, you know, some people are frothers and uh, some people lose that a little bit, maybe yeah. get a little bit burnt out, different stages, different stages of their life. And I, I suppose, you know... Physically, you know, people are getting older and it gets a little bit harder and, you know, the, the crashes hurt a bit more and 
Um, you know, maybe people pick their days a bit more uh, later on, but um, yeah, certainly. Uh, you seem quite pragmatic. You're quite a pragmatic person, what I've discovered this week from hanging out with you. Oh, it's, uh, probably, yeah, it's a good description. <laughs> I just, just came into my head then. Just when you were talking about your, um, you know, obviously all your athletes, we were talking, you know, we were talking on the chairlift about if they get out of hand and you're like, well, if I don't find out about it, then it's probably all right. And if I do find out about it, we give them three strikes and that's it. And it's just, just really matter of fact, I was quite sort of taken that it was as plain as day. Yeah, maybe it's sort of a New Zealand influence, you know. Obviously, grew up in England, but um, spent a lot of time over there now. And do you ever miss the UK? Um, aspects, you know, for sure. I, so I, I guess some folks, your folks, still there. Well, my mum uh, lives in France now. Oh, um, whereabouts? In Limoges, near Limoges, nice. in the centre, sort of. You know, not unfortunately, not in the mountains. Yeah. And, uh, Dad passed away a few years ago. Sorry but, to hear uh, that. Uh, brother and sister in London, so I, right. I'll go visit and. Um, uh, you know, spend a little bit of time with them and enjoy getting back into English culture and going down the pub for a nice pint of bitter and uh, different bits and pieces. Um, Fish and chips. You know, there's, there's things, there's definitely things um, that are comforting when, you, when you've been a long, you know, been away for a long time and, and that kind of thing. But um, on the flip side, um, really enjoy the lifestyle in New Zealand and it's a great place to... Um, uh, be with kids and see them growing up and enjoying the outdoors yeah, so and stuff. A, that's a nice sort of segue to your family. Obviously, you're travelling a lot. I mean, your kids, from what I understand, I know your wife, but obviously never met your kids. I haven't met them yet. Um, are they mad for skiing and snowboarding? They love skiing, yeah. They're um, probably skiing right now. They're, I've left them in the States. My youngest, I've just tried to convert to snowboarding and yeah. she was really enjoying it. We um, spent Christmas and New Year's and, and over in the States and I've left them there, come here to Europe for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to go back on Monday and see them next week and we'll go snowboarding and skiing together. And, so you uh, still manage to get sort of family fun times yeah, definitely. Even with your snowboarding as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's a priority to squeeze that in. And um, yeah, the girls have their summer holidays from middle of December through to the end of January. So that's perfect. So they come over and we spend time together and get lots of riding in. And same in the New Zealand season, they take a day off a week um, of school and they'll right. be up on the mountain three days a week. No way. Or two or three. Two yeah, or three, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So that's real fun. And is it hard? You know, obviously a lot of people would see sort of your lifestyle as a, you know, an, an amazing lifestyle. But obviously once you have a family that, that could take the edge off it a bit. How do you manage to sort of balance? It can be uh, tough, you know. You can go for some pretty long spells without seeing yeah. family and it's kind of tough on them as well. And, you know, most of the time I'm quite busy uh, with work, so you're always just focused on what, what's happening the next day, and there's lots yeah. of lots on your plate, kind of thing. And they're back at home, and they're not necessarily as busy, and you know they're missing me, yeah. I'm missing them. So it can get a little bit tough, but um, you know it is about balance, and we have some really good times together. We just had a three week holiday; it was the longest sort of holiday we've had wow. together for a while. But three weeks, um, you know, at the beach in Hawaii, and then um, ten days in the states. So you know, we we make up for the time we're apart by having some really really good time when we're together so yeah i mean it's incredible that you've forged a career that can i mean obviously it does take you away from your family but it also 
gives your family a lot of opportunity to travel and be together and, and do the fun things that you want to do. Do you feel that it was a sort of ever been a conscious choice to sort of build this career for yourself or has it just happened over time? It's just evolved, just come together. Yeah, you know, if I'd wound back the clock as a, you know, 17-year-old on the dry slope in uh, Maidley and, you know, known what my uh, future or career was going to be, I think I'd been pretty happy, but it wasn't planned. It just, uh, you know, all came together just by following, chasing what I what I love, which is snowboarding. Yeah. And... um. And sort of what does snowboarding mean to you now? Or, or, yeah, what does snowboarding mean to you now? Obviously, it's changed. It comes with a lot of responsibility for, you know, sort of younger riders. You've got to sort of focus on many different things. It's not just about you going snowboarding. So what what is what is in it that's still like the thing for you? Well, there's so much um, in it, you know. Like I, I really enjoy the concept of um chasing after excellence and yep. um, being really good and seeing other people really good and achieve their their goals and achieve their potential. Um, the fun element is still there. It's so much fun to go ripping around. And it's, you know, it's sort of, uh, you see other people having a really good time, putting a smile on their face, and, and that's real fun. And, um, you know, you've you got, you got sort of a constant list of things or goals or things that you can achieve in snowboarding. And, um, you know, that, that doesn't end. Even if it's places that you can visit, yep. different uh, countries, different cultures, um, if it's mountains that you want to climb or it's lines you want to complete or um, conditions you want to experience, you know. What's, so, on your, what's on your bucket list? What haven't you done um, in snowboarding yet that you can or was possible to achieve? Like obviously, you know, boosting a 30-foot air out of half-pipe would be amazing, but yeah. the amount of people that can do that is Pretty small, right? Sure. Well, um, definitely just still enjoying it and right through, you know, into my 70s, 80s. That's a goal, you know. Yeah. And there's no reason why not. Um, look after yourself, you know, healthy get some, lifestyle. Get some step-ons. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> the time will come. Yeah, when you've given up trying to grab your board, I think that's the time when you get a pair of step-ons, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Uh, just picking your conditions a bit more, maybe, you know, yeah. but, you know, riding powder. Watched a video, a movie a little while ago about, um, you know, the fountain of youth. And um, there was a, it was a Japanese skier and he was in his 80s and still like super, had super longevity and his, his bones were in a really good condition. Yeah. And what was his secret? It was skiing powder every day because it just, right. you know, it isn't too impacty, but puts a nice, stress on your physique and you know is really good for bone health apparently is it yeah so um, i'm going to take the same approach with um with snowboarding so plenty of time to keep on shredding you know and i guess in the shorter term future i've got a trip to india coming up in um, march doing some heli ski guiding out there nice and we're aiming to uh, get dropped high and split board up this uh peak that's six thousand meters high so um that'll be the highest I've ever been on yeah. a snowboard. So that's Absolutely. a pretty exciting. Uh, how long will that take? Uh, how long is that trip? Because you've got to acclimatise. Yeah, it's going to be 10 days before we get up to 6,000 metres. So not a heap of time, mm. but um, we're sort of living uh, based at 2,000 metres. Yeah. And then we're heli skiing for a week. So we're spending a lot of time getting exposed to 4,000 metres, then 5,000 metres. Yeah. And then we're back at base at 2,000 to recover. So it's yeah. kind of a good way of 
um, preparing, I guess. You know, I mean, if people were climbing that high and were exposed for a long time, it would take longer. Yeah. But um, because of the helicopter access, it's going to be a little bit quicker and we'll see. We'll be keeping our fingers crossed that it works out. And who are you doing that for? Um, Himalayan heliski. Right. Um, and who there. goes on, like, who... Who goes on these trips? Different, all, all sorts of different people. You know, you sort of um, the guys uh, from the States that I'm taking this time and I met them in New Zealand and they were um, heliski and I took them out for a day and they said, oh, well, you know, where's the best place you've ever been um, heliski? And I said, oh, well, either India or Alaska, they're sort of my best places to go. And so they wanted to come along and uh, kept in touch. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. Getting paid to live the dream. I mean, that's quite a privileged position, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. It certainly is. And have you got any advice for, say, for instance, people who maybe haven't been snowboarding for a while, like it's falling off their radar a little bit, and they're thinking, oh, maybe I should get back into it, or you know, maybe I've maybe I've got to sacrifice a summer holiday to afford to go to take the family away in the winter, or whatever it is. Have you got any advice for sort of someone who's umming and ahhing and, and sort of why they should go snowboarding? Um, well, there can be quite a few barriers, can't there, that, that evolve. Yeah. So I think it's about breaking down those barriers. You know, whether they're financial, there's, you know, there's ways to, ways to do it, yeah. of course. Um, I remember Ed Lee uh, put together a pretty cool uh, video around, you know, ways to kind of keep the cost down, you know, travelling from the yeah. UK and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. getting down to France and, and things. Um, you know, I guess just... You've got to focus on on the dream, really. You know, if the if the candle, if the flame's still alive down in there somewhere, yeah. you've just got to blow a bit of air on it, you know, and uh, go chase your dreams and get back into it. You know, I'm, I haven't don't think I've met anyone that's sort of like not been snowboarding for a while, gone snowboarding and not, you know, absolutely loved it and had a great time. So, you know, just got to get back on the horse, get out there, and I suppose you know, pick your location, pick your timing. You know, try and get your conditions right, obviously. You know, have a bit of flexibility, ideally. Um, you know, go to somewhere that's snowshore. You know, I guess the seasons are getting, uh, you know, climate change. Yeah. You know, you've got to get high yeah. if you want to be sure of snow. Um, you can have a bad run. You can have a bad season. You know, Scotland's got conditions uh, occasionally. So, you know, I think you've got to be a bit flexible, a bit nimble. Yeah. And then just you've got to get after it. You've got to break down those barriers and get back on the shred. Okay, I think that's it. That's the quote. That's the end quote that I was trying to get to. <laughs> nice. nice. Thanks so much, man. I know that you're busy. But no, I'm no, sure not at all. Having the time. No, no worries. And riding the other day, Rob was so stoked. Oh, yeah. Was stoked. Good like time. The whole fucking crew were just like, brilliant. Like, what a great day. You know, because we're all sort of like, what should we do? Where should we go? And you just sort of injected a massive amount of like motive, like, Let's go. Let's go and fucking find something. Yeah, yeah. And and everyone just came down from that day. It's like stoked, really buzzing, buzzing. Yeah. Oh, you know, I I love that. Like that's me empowering others to have a good time. That's you know what I do when I'm guiding and yeah, you know, uh, coaching in a slightly different way. But you know, that's that's getting back to the roots, isn't it? That's just going out with so. the boys and going for some turns and you know, yeah. s- switching off and having a fun time looking at each other. Yeah. You know. And in fact, you even like you went down for, and then sort of filmed everybody. I mean, yeah, it's just a fucking cool thing to do, right? Well, it's, you know, it's easy enough, isn't it? But Duncan I, gave me that clip, and I'm like, well, it's, it's all right. There's it's a record. Just a few turns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose that's just you know, 
that's what I do. You know, that's yeah. really, really normal. Like, uh, um, you know, we're filming the guys all the time. It's too easy with the phone. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone loves a little clip, you know. Yeah, of course and, they do. Uh, if you can get a good good little clip or whatever. Um, I remember when I was uh, in teen with season airs, I was like, yeah. I'd uh, Challenge Sports was a company I set up, which was like, well, it was just me. Yeah. either instructing yeah. or backcountry guiding. And, uh, you know, I was sort of trying to figure out how to kind of get the edge and, you know, build up a client base and all that kind of thing. And even back then it was, you know, I, I gave the clients a radio yeah. with an earpiece, you know, right. and I'd be sort of talking to them as they were riding, shit like that, and filming. And, you know, it was stuff, I guess, that I'd sort of learned from coaching that was like, oh, here's a good way to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. make a fun experience for a client and then you're creating some value. So, you know, they want to come back with you and go snowballing again or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, it's just, just fun, isn't it? I think so. But it really made it really made that day, especially like Rob coming over from Borg, you know, like yeah. we, we all sort of hadn't seen each other together for a long, long time. It was a, an opportune moment when it we was had conditions, yeah. we? and uh, you know, reasonable. Like, imagine it could have been a lot better you know, if we'd have had oh, slightly man. better snow or whatever. Had, just the wind. But, the wind uh, here has been unbelievable. Yeah, it? yeah. But it's that's what it's like, isn't it? You can um, doesn't take much to have a good time, and and I suppose no, we didn't talk about it in terms of like barriers or whatever. But you know, we're not trying to sort of promote or anything but if people have got a bit of cash or get together a group and, and have it and do take a guide you know yeah. you do it can be a bit spendy but you're gonna rather than go to the usual spots you're gonna go you know generally get the best conditions or whatever or yeah I find the that. goods or Me and um, dave once got a guide in steuben in austria yeah and it was you know it's one of the epic snowball moments for me you know sure I mean? just because it's so far out from what your average day of like cruising peace or whatever yeah um and you know it's fun you know on the flip side it's really fun exploring yourself but yeah maybe like taking a guide out at the start of the week and then you can you know some spots and you know you yeah can, you get the lay of the land and then you can kind of suck that info a bit more for the rest of the, the week or whatever yeah, sure. Sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Really. I mean, you know, or a local, or a mate, or a, you know, someone yeah, yeah, that's yeah. been around the traps. Or it's pretty fun uh, going to somebody's them. stomping grounds, isn't it? You know, like yeah. Uh, I guess I spent so much time in those that I just knew it like the back of my hand. So sure. I, I never thought about that aspect, but I guess I, I probably did that. Should You'd have been taking place to people about at one point just to sort of give them the stoke after their holiday. Yeah. So they'd get home and watch it and show it to their friends and stuff. And that was sure. before anyone else was doing that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, but it's same. just to kind of impart all the fun stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And you seem to have that in bucket loads. Well, you know, just it's sort of, uh, um, it's enjoyable. Why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't you share the, share the love? <laughs> yeah. So there we are, Tom Wilmot. What a legend. And uh, you see him, once you sort of see him, You'll not never not see him. So uh, I was watching the X Games footage at the weekend, and they had I think one or two riders in the slope style finals. And then obviously, as they went through the crowd at the bottom, you'd see Tom put a little word in their shells as they went past and give them a fist bump. And so, kind of, I think about how many maybe snowboard contests I've watched on TV that I've seen Tom in the background but not actually realised it was him. But anyway, yeah, as I said at the top, it was such a rad day that we had. Uh, Cool Bus Rob, me, Patrick, 
who was out with me. Uh, Robin and Duncan from The Reason magazine, all just doing proper proper tourist turns, just trying to find little pockets of powder wherever we could, trying to find little bits of fun, which sometimes when you're on your own, you don't really, or you sort of lose, you can lose momentum pretty quick. And um, yeah, when we sort of hooked up with Tom and he was like, right, come on, lads, let's go for a, let's go for a shred. He kind of gave us that motivation. He put that energy back in when we might have sort of flagged and sort of gone for a beer. And as it was, we had like three hours. We were there... Proper last lifts. That's what it was. We we're proper last lifts. We got to one chairlift. They'd taken all like the netting down and everything like that. We were the last people on there. Last runs down, you know, it's January, so the sun's setting low. You can imagine what it's like. And then just the home run at Larks is just, it's a proper leg burner. It is miles long and it is fun, even though it was a bit, even though it was a bit hard packed and but like hard pack piece with nobody on them is a recipe for fun. And then as you pull into Larks, the Rocks Resort, you literally, you stop outside a bar. And uh, even with the will in the world, because I knew that we had to get Rob's interview done, it was impossible not to celebrate the day with uh, a couple of pints straight after riding. And um, yeah, as I said at the top, Patrick went on and had a kebab with Tom and the rest of the New Zealand team, which he was pretty stoked about. And that kind of sums up really sort of what Larks was, just a really friendly, everyone in it for snowboarding. That was my main takeaway from Larks this year, really, was just how the love for snowboarding is still there. Snowboarders are still being snowboarders, basically. Uh, Valentino Giselli, he was on stage with MOP on the Saturday night. Um, do you know what I mean? Still, everyone's at it. Everyone's kind of there for good times. Everyone's there for everyone else. Everyone's there for snowboarding. And yeah, it was good times. I keep wanging on about Larks, but you know that's obviously been the highlight of my snowboarding for a long time. And um, yeah, hopefully I get to do some more trips, maybe get to go back there next year. They're celebrating a big anniversary next year. So if you can make it out there, I'd highly recommend it. It's a great week. There's stuff going on. There's other things like um, Donna Carpenter, the late Jake Burton's wife, did a talk about women in snowboarding. There's MOP did a headline set. I mean, MOP. It was amazing. I can't tell you. Um, so yeah, it's really good times. Um, there's going to be a big anniversary next year and uh, hopefully we're going to be involved again. So yeah, keep it locked. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, as I said, Mia Brooks won Slopestyle Gold at the X Games, which is fucking incredible. I mean, she said she was going to win it and uh, I do want to talk to her about that. I mean, obviously, snowboarders don't like to be overly competitive or at least be seen to be overly competitive. So, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we've got an episode coming with her parents, um, but I'm going to try and catch up with her and her parents for a bit of a sort of a bookend of the interview just to see what the X Games experience was like and, you know, like where she goes from here, basically, which would seem anywhere she likes because she's killing it. Um, so, there, yeah, that's really interesting. The Instagram is firing uh, we posted up a video that was on Lockdown Project's movie proper. There's a couple of music videos at the end, and one of them's with Ed Lee, Stuart Brass, Spencer Claridge, and Ed's wife, Sean. 
uh, they do a remake of the song Jilted John and it is a thing, an absolute thing of beauty. Um, I'd forgotten about it and found it the other day and posted it up and I know Ed's posted it and Sean's posted it. I think Stu Brass has posted it. Um, it's brilliant. So yeah, go and have a look at that. It's a thank you snowboarding podcast. If you want to like follow us on Instagram, that'd be cool. And obviously the YouTube channel, which takes us to the song at the start of this episode, which is Storm 3000 by Leftfield, which is from the movie Odd Man Out. I know we've mentioned Odd Man Out before, but there are obviously a few movies that are going to be sort of of the time and of the moment. And uh, Odd Man Out is definitely one of those. It was the movie that brought Christian Stevenson into the UK scene. And obviously the music on it is killer. So that is up on our YouTube channel, but without the soundtrack because it all gets blocked out because it's all by famous bands. But that is Leftfield Storm 3000, which, if I'm correct, is the David Vincent section. Uh, sorry, pronounced it wrong. David Vincent, a uh, famous French writer from the sort of neck of the woods that I lived in. Uh, he, I think, lived in Saint-Foix. I don't know if he still does, but he was certainly... Um, he blazed the trail in the French scene and the worldwide scene for a while. Got a mean frontside rodeo on him. So, uh, yeah, if you want to go and check out Odd Man Out, that is up on our YouTube channel or you'll find it generally on YouTube. Anyway, uh, so what else is going on? Uh, just have Matt Barr here from the Looking Sideways podcast, the amazing Looking Sideways, which is definitely a forerunner to this and is still doing great things. I recorded an episode with him this morning. That'll be out in a few weeks. Uh, as I said, I've got Mia Brooks's parents, Nigel and Vicky. They've done one, and we're going to flesh that out. Uh, who else have we got? We've got a guy called Oggy next week, I think, who ran a snowboard shop in Hina in the Midlands called Lifestyle. And he also worked with Jeremy Sladen right back in the day. And he's one of these people who you probably won't know his story either. But he is a lifer. He loves snowboarding. He has just got back from a trip to Les Arc. Um, I think he's 69 and he's still going at it. He absolutely adores snowboarding and has probably done as much as most people to kind of spread snowboarding in the right way to people who want to get into it. Um, he talks about legendary two-hour presentations that he's got that he would give to prospective newbies in his shop. And um, yeah, There'll be more about that on his episode next week. So, yeah, I think that's it for now. Uh, if you want to get in touch, tell me about anything that's going on. Tell me about your recent snowboard trip or a trip you're going on or a memory from days gone by or anything you want to share about what snowboarding means to you. You can thank you snowboarding at gmail.com if you want to get in touch or give me a DM over on Instagram. That'll be fine. Um, it's a pleasure. And obviously, this is a community building project. We basically want to inspire you to go snowboarding if it's because you haven't been snowboarding for a while and it's sort of fallen off your radar. Or you're listening and thinking, you know, like, I'd like to get into it or I've done it once, I'd like to learn a bit more about it. Well, then this is the place. So you can get in touch, you can ask me advice, as much advice as I have, um, or we can put you certainly in touch with the right people. So yeah, please do use us as a resource. That's what we're here for. To share stories, to spread the love of snowboarding. And that is that is our remit. So yeah, that's it for now. I think I'll probably think of a million things that I should have put in this episode a bit later on. 
but I better go and file my tax return. It's that day. Um, big shout out to all you self-employed cats out there doing your tax returns. Hopefully you're more organized than I am. Um, yeah, that's it for now. So yeah, thank you, snowboarding. Peace 